and I the church. And what I see too often as a pastor, as someone who understands the inner workings of the church, is that the church will say the most minimum requirement to say um, to keep the lights on. We'll just say it blatantly. And one story that I even shared in the, in the video, which I would encourage people to go check out at defundthechurch.com. There's a video there that I, um, I made when, when I first started this. But I share a story of a pastor who came out after George Floyd's murder and, um, and made a statement. And he made a pretty bold and declarative statement about Black Lives Mattering, about, you know, the reality. I don't, I don't even think he actually said Black Lives Matter, but he just made a statement about the church's response to this time and place. And a few weeks later, he had to apologize for that statement. And largely, my guess would be that happened because people were threatening to leave and ultimately take their money with them. Yeah, defund the church, rebuild the kingdom, ain't no doubt Time to wake up because the church walls shouldn't be there to keep people out Yeah, let's come together, ready for change, now is the time We are one unit that is under God, let's put an end to the racial divide uh, I gotta scream it out louder, let's rebuild the kingdom from the ground up Bringing unity in the community and keep the Holy Spirit all around us Yeah, yeah, defund the church, let's go Hello everyone, and welcome to Defund the Church I'm Frank Turner, and I'm here with Pastor Justin Douglas of the Belong Collective. We thank you for joining us for our inaugural episode, and I'm sure you're listening and hearing, what is defund the church, and, and what does it mean? And we're going to not waste any time. I'm going to let Pastor Justin Douglas kind of jump in and let the listeners know what is defund the church all about and what it means. Hey, Frank, thanks for, uh, for being with me on the podcast today. I think this is a great uh, opportunity for us to talk about the concept of defund the church. Obviously, uh, the word defund is a flagrant term in our culture right now. It gets people's attention, and uh, we've seen it uh, related to um, policing. We've seen it related to other things uh, in politics. And uh, for me, I, uh, I saw all of that, and I saw an opportunity for us to use some of this language in the church and as a pastor in the church. Uh, I understand how for many people, the statement of defund the church uh, could be received poorly <laughs> or received with all kinds of notions. I remember uh, I, when I first posted about it, uh, someone in the comment section said, let's start with your salary. <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, I said, you know, I kind of responded to that person like, yes, we should start with my salary if like I'm failing to champion diversity within the church and I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring um, conversations that I think Jesus would be deeply concerned with. And so I, I start here. Jesus really broke down the racial stereotypes and the um, lack of diversity that existed within his time and place. And so two particular stories that I think are important before I dive into like what this concept means. Jesus in the first century enters into a context where Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And like, I don't, say that lightly. They literally hated each other. Jews would pray in the temple for the demise of the Samaritans. So in the holy place of God, they would offer up prayers and petitions that the Samaritans uh, would, would suffer, would ultimately be separated from God for eternity. Like these are legitimate, like historical documents we can find and, and, and look at. 
also the Samaritans would make their way. Uh, there's one documented case where the Samaritans spread human bones in the temple, <laughs> the most sacred place and holy place of God, where if you come in contact with somebody who, um, like if you come in contact with human blood, you have to like be, you know, uh, cleansed for 30 days before you can enter back into the temple. Like you have all these rituals and reasons for uh, ceremonial cleanliness, yet uh, the Samaritans knew that and chose to spread human bones. So these two sides, documented historical realities, hate each other. They're raised to hate each other. And that's very explicit. Like it is not, uh, you know, uh, something that's just learned like uh, subconscious behavior. They, they literally are taught to be afraid of one another. And they're taught that the other is ultimately um, like a savage, like, you know, uh, just a terrible person. And so what does Jesus do at the very beginning, early on in his, in his, um, in his ministry? So it's the, the scripture actually starts with Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, here's the funny thing. The route that Jesus is taking, he actually doesn't have to go through Samaria. He, he would normally cross, uh, at, cross the river, add an extra day to his travel, because uh, that's what most Jewish people would do, and go around Samaria. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so we know he didn't have to from the standpoint of like his GPS sent him that way, like every other Jewish person would have went a different way. Um, but he had to, I think, because it was imperative to his ministry and the kingdom of God in which he was des desiring to elevate to say, we have to start here. We have to really talk about uh, what it means to hate a whole group of people that are made in the image of God, what it means to go into our sacred spaces and even pray for the demise of a group of people. And so what does he do? He walks his disciples into Samaria, sits, with, sits at a well, and as he sits at a well, which would be outside of the town, he sends them in to get him food. This is fascinating because he's making them interact as what likely they would be young teenage boys who have been taught their whole life to hate Samaritans, maybe never even seen a Samaritan, certainly never been in Samaria or had to communicate with a Samaritan on their own turf. And now he's sending them in to buy food for him. So now they're also going to have to do commerce with these people. Like, it's a, for them, this must be a terrifying situation. I wish we had a whole chapter of the Bible just on how that interaction went with the, with the disciples. So he comes back to the, they come back to the well to find him talking with a woman at a well, which is shocking because a rabbi would never talk with a woman in this way. This is not only giving women dignity, but it's giving Samaritans dignity. And he doesn't just give her dignity by talking to her. He asks her for a drink of water, which is like, what? You can't do that. You, she even knows that you're breaking rules here. She's like, you can't ask for a drink from my water. Like, and he then, of course, continues to elevate the kingdom of God um, above these these tribal, you know, differences that exist between these two groups. And the disciples come back and bring him food. And he's like, I'm not hungry. I'm good. And you're just like, Jesus, you just sent them in to this dangerous territory for what purpose? Just to expose them. Interesting. Then later on, we have the story of the good Samaritan, which is really a story about who do you hate? Because the whole entire parable begins with the question of who is my neighbor? And, and the question of who do I have to love? And then Jesus goes into a parable championing a Samaritan. So this context is really important right when we get off the ground for defund the church to say, 
Um, historically, in our country, in our context, in American history, and I do want to recognize if you're listening to this and you're not from America, uh, if you're not from the United States of America, then I can, I can understand how maybe some of this wouldn't relate to you. But for, for the, the context of where I pastor, uh, where you know, this is getting off the ground, is that historically in, in our country, um, black people have had a major disadvantage and ultimately racism has existed from our very roots as a country through slavery, through segregation, through Jim Crow laws. I could go on and on and on with the realities that exist. And it seems like we're coming at a point in our culture and in our country where we're beginning to say, we can't move forward without having honest conversations about this. Like that too much harm has been done. Now it's shocking to me that it's taken this long for us to get to that point to where we're willing to really reconcile our past. Um, and not that I'm saying people are willing to reconcile the past. I'm just saying that we're actually willing to look at it and see it for what it is. But in that, the church has to be present and active in that conversation. And what I see too often as a pastor, as someone who understands the inner workings of the church, is that the church will say the most minimum requirement to say um, to keep the lights on we'll just say it blatantly. And one story that I even shared in the, in the video, which I would encourage people to go check out at defundthechurch.com. There's a video there that I, um, I made when, when I first started this, but I share a story of a pastor who came out after George Floyd's murder and, um, and made a statement and he made a pretty bold and declarative statement about black lives mattering about, you know, the reality, I don't, I don't even think he actually said Black Lives Matter, but he just made a statement about the church's response to this time and place. And a few weeks later, he had to apologize for that statement. And largely, my guess would be that happened because people were threatening to leave and ultimately take their money with them. And this happens in churches, whether, you know, this happens in all organizations. Let's just be honest. Uh, if you're a business, you, a, a customer has a bad service experience and they threaten to leave. Maybe they even make a post on Twitter about it and you have a choice here. Are you going to, you know, meet the customer's need, give them something free maybe to try to, you know, say, we're really sorry about that experience. Or is the customer uh, maybe elevating something that is on the other side of your value system? And you have a choice to make in this particular case. Now, I want to be careful. Churchgoers are not customers. This isn't, but in a lot of ways, our churches have unfortunately related in this way, which has caused us to be very cautious with anything we say that is prophetic in nature. Because prophetic voices in the church that are really pointing toward the kingdom, like in our culture, these voices, this way of speaking, typically uh, challenges people. It's not meant to make them feel comfortable. It's meant to make them feel a sense of, Ooh, I have to like really right now work on the log in my own eye, instead of going around, like seeing the specks in other people's eyes. Like I, 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 it's called, it's a call to introspection. It's a call to, to own our own racism, our own implicit bias. And so when, when a pastor does that, uh, that, that usually comes with a sense of backlash on any issue, but especially racism in the church, because the church has its own history of racism. And so defund the church, this is obviously a very long-winded answer, but defund the church was started to say, we have to have these conversations in the church. We cannot let 
politics just have these conversations. Let book clubs just have these conversations. There's a, there's a theology, in my opinion, that's imperative to these conversations and ultimately an emphasis on the kingdom. And Jesus was not silent on these issues. So we have to have them. And, here, and here's the, the inverse and why it's defund the church. If you've gone to your leaders and requested these conversations be had and worked really hard to get them to a place to discuss this, and they still fail to discuss this, still fail to acknowledge this reality within our world and have the necessary conversations, make the necessary changes, then it might be time for you to consider defunding the church and taking that money elsewhere to a church that will elevate this because I think it is a critical core gospel issue within the church right now. And I think the ministry of Jesus shows it as such. Now that, that my friends is a real answer. Uh, you know, it's funny because you said long-winded, but I believe that if you don't set a good foundation for what you're standing for, it, it, it can get railroaded. It can get pushed to the side. And so I think starting in scripture, starting with Jesus, the bedrock of our faith, um, mm -hmm. you know, lets people know that when they listen to this, we're not, there's not just some, you know, progressive anarchist movement to do something different. Uh, I know you, if you listen to the intro when we came in there, the, the man is talking about rebuilding the kingdom. I think that is a very important part of uh, defunding the church. It's not just taking something away. It's also building something up. So I just, I thank you for bringing in that long view of what, what, what this is, is, is 2000 years in the making, right? Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit living in us, allowing these things to happen. We have the ability to make things and things happen. And I, I think one of the things I want to touch on, you said, we can't allow politics and book clubs to do these things. And it's interesting that we, we have the Holy Spirit, right? We, we say we do. We mm -hmm. say that, you know, but, but we allow those, those organizations and things outside of the church without the spirit to dictate some of the most critical issues. And I think that, um, you know, what, what you're bringing to light in the church is getting people to, to focus and, and do what the church was actually meant to do, which is to handle things like injustice and it not be, a sensitive issue from a standpoint of people feel offended or people it's, it's just everybody's working towards this the, the the unity the oneness that god wanted for his people and, and everybody being the same i mean just looking at it scientifically geneticists will tell you that we're you know i'm, I'm a black guy you're a white guy right but mm -hmm. we're 99.999 percent the same genetically like mm -hmm. we couldn't be more similar yet you know we have have a whole country that's divided so i think it's important um like I said, yeah. for those those hearing that answer, I think go back and listen to that because that was, if you don't understand what the pastor was saying in that intro, you won't get anything else. You'll, you'll, you, you won't understand anything else because you've got to understand foundationally that, that Jesus Christ is making us, allowing us to be the, his righteousness in the earth. Like, like what he wanted from the beginning with Adam, that's where we are now. And so the injustice and things we're saying it's not for the it's not for politics it's not for a candidate to solve it's not for some legislation to solve not that that's couldn't be part of it so yeah let, 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 let me let me let me uh let me say something to that because i think this is really important it's not that politics doesn't play a role here and it's not even that churchgoers can't can't be deeply concerned with politics for example um i'll, I'll just give it i'll just give a quick example for my own sake uh, I'm working on some police reforms in my local community that I'm very passionate about. Um, and ultimately, we've been hitting roadblocks within transparency, within uh, use of force policies. They're not transparent. You don't get a chance to see them. 
I put a right to know request in, what I received back was largely redacted. And that's because uh, there's a system here at play that works that uh, they don't want you to know the use of force uh, policies because, uh, so to me, there's, there's value, and I would even say kingdom value, because blessed are the peacemakers, to looking into these use of force policies and saying, what, what are ways that we can make our communities more centered on peace? So I'm not saying that politics is bad, evil, or shouldn't be at the table. What I'm saying is, why isn't the church engaging in relevant conversations that our world is seeing relevant enough to have? And, and, and another way of framing this is when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says that we should pray that heaven would come to earth. And in my understanding, we should be filtering our politic, our, what we champion uh, here on earth through that lens. And so I want our police policy to be the one that reflects heaven the most. I want our healthcare policy to be the one that reflects heaven the most. It is my job as a Christ follower to be an agent of bringing heaven to earth. This, this idea that you even stated back with, with Adam and Eve, the idea of shalom, wholeness, fullness, uh, you know, peace. We should be championing that with the recognition that we live in a fallen world and we're not going to experience that 24-7. But the goal is by that spirit's leading that you spoke of, the spirit one more powerful than me is coming is what Jesus said, which is wild to think of it that way. That spirit lives inside of you, lives inside of me. We are called to be led by that spirit to bring heaven to earth. And so as we enter into these difficult political topics, we're going to disagree because we're going to struggle to, to wrestle with what is best to bring about heaven on earth. That's fine. That's fair. But the church can't just disengage from these relevant conversations. Jesus didn't. Jesus was very political in some of what he said, even just that story of the woman at the well. That's an incredibly political story because he's sitting with a woman, men and women, especially rabbis in this case, don't, don't, he asked for a drink. You can't drink after a Samaritan. Like there's a, he breaks all kinds of rules just in that story. And then you can go to the, should I pay taxes? Should I not pay taxes? Which is a huge question in his time. He's like, whose face is on the coin? Just give it to him. Okay. Like, it's like he, that's a political statement. Now it might not be that he was partisan. I think that's really important. He might not have been partisan, but he did make political statements. And that's where I think the church has lost its prophetic voice in a lot of ways of being able to say, uh, we have a value system, a kingdom value system that at times is going to be radical, prophetic. It's going to push people. It's going to probably cause people to leave the church because they're not ready for it. But we can't be quiet because we're calculated. That's, that's, that's not going to lead to heaven coming to earth. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for coming in and saving me on that. That was good. Mm. You, you, I think you made it. I didn't, I didn't save you. You were making great, great points. I just no, want to, I, mean, well, I think, I think it's well, really important to, to, to not, to, to not make it another either, or we got a lot of either ors in our world. I think, I think yeah. it can be both and right. Yeah. I, well, that's, that's kind of what I meant. I mean, right. I think that we can, we need to have, like you said, this thing be transformative mm -hmm. And we, while we do want the church, as you mentioned, to, to be a part of it, it's also got to filter into other things specifically. And I think you, we, we want to have that be understood, right? It starts in the church, right? We're doing this, but it doesn't mean that it ends there. It, it, it's got to mm. go out to everything. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, as we get through, you know, as we explore this topic, which we're just getting started, I think that that's what um, we want to do. And, um, 
man, that, that was that was really good. And 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 I think I think we're gonna stop right there um, for for just this definition because I want you listeners to go back. Like I said, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, and all the major podcast platforms. Go and subscribe to the podcast. Let us know what you're thinking of defund the church. We got a lot more episodes coming. We love your feedback. Um, we, we, we want to make this something that's powerful, transformative, not just something that makes, you know, shakes you up, but something that stirs you to make the change that God wants for all of us. We, you know, we believe we're all one of one. We all make a difference. And I think that what we're doing here um, is, is, is activating what God wanted in all of us from the beginning. And, and I think that, you know, we have to you know, position ourselves. So thank you, Pastor, just for just bringing such a great foundation to, to this message, to this movement. And, and I'm hoping that as we continue to grow, we get more people understanding who Jesus was, what he really wanted to do, and, and how we can bring it forth, especially in this climate where everybody loves to disagree. I think, I think that is, is paramount. Mm. Thanks, Frank. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and other major podcast platforms. And also, don't forget to visit defundthechurch.com where you can find news and information on how to support this movement and rebuild the kingdom. Thank you.